0: Welcome to the podcast of Christ Covenant Church the congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, located in the township of Langley, British Columbia. My name is Gary Vanderveen, and I'm the senior pastor here. If you would like to know more about our congregation, please visit us online at www.langleychurch.org. In the last half of Matthew 25, Jesus tells his disciples a parable of the final judgment, one which we commonly call the sheep and the goats. Depicting himself as a shepherd, he describes how the sheep, that is, those who inherit the kingdom of God prepared for them from the foundation of the world, are surprised to hear Christ commend them for their mercy. The goats, on the other hand, those commanded to depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, are equally surprised to hear Christ condemn them for their lack of mercy. In both cases, Jesus' judgment is based on their care for him when he was hungry, when he was thirsty, when he was a stranger, when he was naked, when he was sick, and when he was in prison. The sheep, by caring for one of the least of these, whom Jesus affectionately calls my brothers, were thereby caring for Christ. Likewise, the goats, by ignoring the same kinds of people, were obliviously ignoring the needs of Christ. The 19th-century novelist Charles Dickens was a passionate advocate for the least of Jesus' brothers. His zeal was largely motivated by his own childhood, in which he and his family had borne the brunt of goatish behavior. As a 12-year-old boy, he saw his father thrown into debtor's prison, forcing young Charles to leave school and work 10-hour days in a boot-blacking warehouse. Although Dickens was delivered from these poor conditions after a short time, they left a profound impression on him. Many of his novels and short stories decry the wealthy of his day for their oppression and outright dismissal of the poor. Consider A Christmas Carol's Ebenezer Scrooge, who refuses to give a Christmas contribution to the poor on the grounds that there are prisons and workhouses to provide for them, not to mention a legal system that compels the poor into these dismal places. The charitable advocate pleads with Scrooge, pointing out that these institutions scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude, and that many can't go there, and many would rather die. Scrooge's flat reply is that the poor would then be better off dead and help everyone out by decreasing the surplus population. Moreover, he says, knowing about their plight is not his concern. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Hear those words again. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. If we heard this statement on its own, you and I would likely nod in agreement. But when other people's business involves the health of their minds and their bodies, Scrooge's goat-like convictions appall us, as they should. These things have been on my mind because my co-worker and friend John died four weeks ago. He was 52 years old, estranged from his family, and for the past four months had been physically unable to work. He died alone in his trailer, succumbing to a combination of diabetes, alcohol abuse, and depression. The police found him sometime after he had died, performing a welfare check and knocking down the door when he couldn't be roused. I was gutted when I heard the news. I knew that John was facing a myriad of health struggles. I had kept in touch during his time off, trying to encourage him and lend a listening ear. But I didn't fully comprehend the demons he was facing, nor how close he was to death. There were a lot of reasons to sympathize with John. Though he kept things close to his chest, I had spent enough time with him to know some of the blows life had dealt him. That his childhood was rough because of his cruel, abusive parents. That an ex-girlfriend had up and left him, taking their daughter and refusing to grant him visitation. That he had been used and manipulated by countless people throughout his life. But there were also a lot of reasons to avoid John. For one, it was impossible to have a short phone conversation with him. Call him to ask a quick question, and 20 minutes later you'd be saying, Oh, I've got another call to answer here. Sometimes when there wasn't actually another call coming in. He was also a deeply bitter person. In those lengthy conversations, he would often vent about somebody who had abandoned him or ripped him off or insulted his trade. I would hear the same stories over and over again, the tales growing more sour with every retelling. What I see now, in hindsight, is that these annoyances were John's cries for help. That the very things that rubbed me the wrong way and led me at times to avoid him were actually my opportunities to care for him. He was not wanting for food, but he was hungry. He had more than enough to drink, but he was thirsty. He was familiar to me, but a stranger to many. And when he was sick, I could have done more. I probably could not have saved him or undone the damage he'd inflicted to himself over the years, but there may have been steps to take that would have enriched his life, that would have softened him to the gospel, that would have given him a better end to his earthly story. I guess what I'm saying, the hard lesson that I'm learning, is that it's easy to behave like a goat, no matter how well I understand and preach Jesus' parable. It's easy to say that this person's behavior, or that person's reaction, makes them ineligible to be called a brother or sister of Christ. It makes sense to believe that someone else is better suited to step in and minister to their needs. But Jesus doesn't offer me those outs. When the time comes, he will simply ask what I did to those in need around me, and let my actions speak for themselves.